we waited 25 years to hear this. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bob Dylan. I, I was thinking about this a lot. Why did I pick this show? I certainly wasn't there. And, and I've been reflecting on that. One is that for, I just had it like bookmarked because I'd watched it like a couple of times and the, the full show is on YouTube. So it's got that going for it, professionally mm-hmm. shot. And then it was funny, just thinking about it more, I realized like 1994 was a, a Dylan year that I've kind of just been interested in. Um, and uh, I, reali- I realized I'd, I'd had this big obsession last year with Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits Volume 3. On, on my show, Time Crisis, we did a two-part deep dive just on <laughs> Some that. Some great episodes. And yeah. then I, and, uh, thank you. That, that was our little taste of the, of the J-Man world. And then I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh, yeah, when did that come out? And it was November 94. And then on the flip side, there was this performance uh, I bet some of you guys have seen that's also on YouTube that's uh, er, uh, before Woodstock, which was in, in August 94. It was in May 94. And Bob's playing with an mm. orchestra in uh, Nara, Japan. It's a heart. It's a heart. It's a heart. It's a heart. It's a heart ring. In a bomb. What did you see? I'd weirdly come across that performance. Just because I was like searching for different versions of A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall. And in like a weird coincidence, I, I was in Japan a lot last year and I went to that place where he played because it's, it's a very famous destination. I'm almost surprised that they did a show there because it's this uh, famous temple, uh, Todaiji, that has uh, like this really like remarkable, huge brass Buddha inside it. And the temple itself is really remarkable. Anyway, it was like this weird coincidence that I was there and I was like, wait, is this where Bob did that like <laughs> intense orchestral performance? So anyway, I, I felt like I was being drawn to 1994 Bob. And then on top of that, I just, I va- you know, I, I, was, uh, I was born in 1984. So, you know, th- there's a way in which, uh, you know, your early, earliest memories, a lot of people are like, you know, three or four years old. There's something about when you're 10, you're really like coming online. You know, so 94 always kind of felt like a big year for me. I turned 10. I I received a cassette copy of In Utero for my birthday. And then I went to school two days later and found out Kurt had died. It was like I started to feel like I was thinking about music and culture and stuff. Mm. So anyway, there was I was naturally drawn to to Woodstock 94 and Bob's performance in the whole year, really. I just want to say that I'm really glad that Ezra picked this show because I'd never listened to the show before and i think i always assumed that it wouldn't be very good because it's a festival show there's a weird history with bob dylan and woodstock you know like the original woodstock in 1969 one of the reason reasons why it was in upstate new york was that it was in proximity to where where bob dylan lived at the time and that's where the band was and there was this idea that, like, if we do Woodstock near where Bob Dylan lives, then maybe he'll come play Woodstock, which, of course, didn't happen. <laughs> he actually ended up playing the Isle of Wight Festival in England, which was the same weekend. And it seemed like mm. a very deliberate, like, rebuke of Woodstock that 
not only is he not going to play Woodstock, he's going to like flee the, the country, country the same weekend <laughs> and play like another <laughs> massive festival with the band. Um, so I just thought, like, well, if he's playing Woodstock in 1994, uh, you know, it must be a cash grab. And it's funny because, like, like Evan, like, like Evan shared like a tweet thread where uh, I forget who was tweeting about this, but it was talking about how like they wanted Neil Young to play Woodstock, and he turned it down. And then when Bob found out what like how much money Neil Young was offered, suddenly Bob Dylan is like down to do it. Yeah, exactly. That is kind of the drama with it for me. Like from the outside, it's kind of like, well, is it a little sad that Bob Dylan has capitulated to Big Woodstock and he's playing the festival now? And uh, it might be that he did just want to take a big payday, but also he did it nobly. I think he performed and held up his end of the bargain well and probably better than anybody would have expected. Listening to this show, and I've listened to it several times, I'm continually amazed, and not to spoil, like, we'll get into this as we talk about the set, I was, like, amazed by, like, how good this is. Like, I, there are so many highlights here that you wouldn't necessarily expect just looking at the set list, because it's a very stock set list, and and Ezra, you know, it's interesting, you're talking about, like, how you're obsessed with, like, Greatest Hits Volume 3 which came out in 94. This was also the year that Dylan did MTV Unplugged, mm. which was a very greatest hits type set mm-hmm. on, on that record. Although I think MTV Unplugged, I think his performance is great, actually. I, I love that album. And especially if you dig into to the expanded outtakes from that, it's really good. But just looking at the album itself, I think it's great. But this does seem like a year like where Dylan was in, like reintroducing himself to like a younger generation playing his hits but not phoning it in doing it like really well. Like we joke on this show about like how every Dylan show has like All on the Watchtower and Rainy Day Women and these sort of stock songs and that's in this Woodstock set but I'm like wow I love hearing Rainy Day Women <laughs> and this Woodstock 94 set. I never thought I would mm. say that. Like, the, there's so many songs that you feel like you've heard a million times that he finds a way to deliver in a really exciting way. And a lot of that is to the band's credit and just the way that they're playing, kind of like pretty close to the spirit of those original 60s uh, instrumentals, but amped up and kind of like slightly alt countryed out at times. Um, and it just works really well. I just want to give some context here for this Woodstock 94 performance. This was this was the third day of the festival played on the north stage. There was also a south stage at Woodstock 94. And on Sunday, this was Sunday, August 14th. One of the more iconic performances from Woodstock 94 was Green Day. You know, where there was all this mud, the mud at the festival yeah. and they were throwing right. like mud and stuff, you know, sort of like really leaning into like the, the dirtiness of it. Green Day was on the south stage on the 14th. Oh, and what is this fucking free hippie love shit? How you doing all you rich motherfuckers? So that was going on on the opposite stage of Bob Dylan. 
I just like want to read the performers that were on the North stage because I think it reflects the combination of like 60s people and also like 90s people that were trying to revive the 60s at that time. So you have Country Joe of Country Joe and the Fish. <laughs> this is a song I wrote for Greenpeace Foundation about 10 years ago. It's called Save the Whales. Uh, you have Arrested Development. You have the Allman Brothers Band. You have Traffic. You have the Spin Doctors, who I feel like were sort of past their peak at this point. Porno for Pyros, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Peter Gabriel. <laughs> so this is like who Bob is rubbing shoulders with. Wow. And I, I was wondering about this too, because in, in the broadcast on YouTube, I don't know if that was from MTV or, or what, they they say... They say, you know, coming up on the North stage, we got Red Hot Chili Peppers and Peter Gabriel. So does that imply that the organizers made a decision? Does that mean that Peter Gabriel was the headliner? You know, did they make a decision that they were like, you know, Peter, his music's a little more relevant right now. Bob, he can get that nice sunset slot, but then we're going to bring the energy up with the Chili Peppers. And Was Peter Gabriel getting more of a legend status VIP treatment in 94? Or do I have it wrong? Apparently, Bob was actually nine, like an hour and a half late to his set. So whatever, I think whatever the schedule was supposed to be, Bob himself ended up just completely fucking it up and throwing a wrench into things. So he was even later. That sounds intentional. Yeah, I think so. That's a big dick generally... <laughs> You know, just generally with a festival, you kind of, there can be exceptions, but generally like the later somebody's playing, like that's the headliner and every step backwards was a deliberate decision on the promoter's part or a thoughtful decision about who they thought would be like a big draw or who they wanted to give like pride of place. Not that there's, it can be great to play during the daytime, but you know what I mean? Were they, why wouldn't they give Bob the the headliner status? Were they, were they just, was it so obvious? I mean, come on, Bob, you're not Peter Gabriel. It's 1994. It is important to remember like what the context is for where Bob's career is at. Because at this point, 94, this is like a really interesting place um, in regards to that. Because he hasn't put out Time Out of Mind yet. The last album mm. is Under the Red Sky. Dandy, dandy. And good as I've been to you, and world gone wrong. The red skies last. That's the yeah. Under the red skies, the last originals. Full right, right exactly. And so like it is kind of this um this foggy area where I think people were not totally sure if he would really be back as like you know nobody could have anticipated like the full on comeback mode that he would be in but uh this was i think the moment of him kind of ramping up maybe he could tell that that was going to happen or personally he was like the fact that he was willing to do this has maybe says something about like his creative uh energies like coalescing again mm. but yeah and maybe it wasn't so clear to the promoters like that he was really going to be like burning the house down I think they just wanted to get people out of there because that's part of the Woodstock 94 thing. It was his unmitigated disaster, a complete clusterfuck. They sold 150,000 tickets. 350,000 people showed up somehow. The fences around the venue collapsed. It was just a mud, 
nightmare. But like by Woodstock standards, like not that big of a disaster. Like there's a bigger disaster coming. Not as bad as 99. In 99. Because <laughs> just to circle back to like what Ezra was saying, I mean, because this was something that I was trying to figure out. Uh, I was trying to find like a schedule for this day. Like, do we know that Gabriel was the headliner? Because I was trying to figure out, like, is it the Chili Peppers? Because I feel like commercially, they would have been the bigger band. See, Fushante didn't play ninety. Was this when they did like light bulb heads? Did it was kind exactly. of exactly they did light bulb heads. Because the Chili Peppers also played ninety nine Woodstock ninety nine, and that's like when they were back with Fushante. But maybe Gabriel would have been the headliner. Well, no, because Bob. Remember, Bob. It's from that fact, right? Bob was the Neil. Uh, Bob was the Neil replacement for the 600k payday, and Neil was going to be the headliner. I I can almost guarantee that this was just Bob was like, I'm not coming out later than like 6 p.m. or something. I got to get on the bus because this was in the middle of a tour. He he. This was a this was a 20 date tour. Yeah. Well, and I and I can and I can tell you something from from personal experience that in um. At Fuji Rock Festival in Japan in 2018, we uh, we got the uh, invitation from the organizers to be second from the top on the main stage, and Bob was going to headline. Of course, we're like, oh, this is going to rule. Um, and then um, way before the show, like months early, the we manager said, um, "Are you guys cool with uh, swapping?" like set times with bob he, he wants to get out of there it's like months before so we're like it, it, we're like uh, sure but also and it was kind of late like i could totally under i mean but of course you know this is in 2018 so so bob is 24 years older you know in his late he's pushing 80 then i, I could totally understand why he might feel like i'm not gonna get on stage at 10 p.m <laughs> And then be like, well, but Bob, you're the headliner. He's like, I don't, I'm still the headliner. I don't care. <laughs> so we got to play after him. But, you know, of course, he was still the headliner on the poster. Is it possible he was still pulling that move in 94? Maybe. I could see it. That sounds like a Bob thing to me. He's in his mid-50s and he's just like, I want to beat traffic. <laughs> and also, it is, you can kind of feel, you can feel the energy, even just watching the, the show or listening to it, that he does have that beautiful sunset slot. Which is so nice, you know. Like you can tell he comes out. There's still a little bit of sunlight. It's cooling off. The sun's going down. Like I bet, I bet when he kind of like switched over to the acoustic set, it was probably like one of those like awesome moments at a show where like it's finally nighttime, and then like oh, here comes the acoustic moment. I bet yeah. that felt so good. So maybe he also just wisely chose the better a, a cooler slot in a way. He's just sitting there like silently in his uh, in his bus or trailer backstage, and just like. The moment's not right. It's not the right moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he raises his hand. <laughs> like, Do you think Kiedis came in to his trailer and was like, hey, Bob, <laughs> do you want to trade? Because like, we'll trade with you. Like, like Kiedis has the light bulb already on his head. And he's like, already. maybe he's like, hey, shirtless. Like, we, have this, we have this light bulb aesthetic going on. It'd be better if it was darker for us. Can't be doing that during the day. We need, a, yeah, we need nighttime to, to, make, to make these things shine. Well, I don't, I don't want to dwell on it because it has nothing to do with Bob. But I am curious: Did Peter Gabriel headline over the Chili Peppers in '94? And that's the thing I was trying to figure Ooh. out. That's a great question. Did he get paid more than the Chili Peppers? Well, because 
Us, which was the most recent Peter Gabriel record, is definitely not a bigger record than Blood Sugar Sex Magic. But then you have the So energy. Maybe there's that thing mm. like where it just carries over. And also you have to factor in the promoters at Woodstock 99 or 94 are older. So maybe they would defer to Gabriel. So I don't know. I, I If I had to put money down, I'd probably say maybe Gabriel was the headliner. This is a sick track list. I mean, the, those live record, the one with all those uh, us cuts. Mm, Secret World. Oh, yeah. If you listen to that, it'd be hard for me to see that as anything but a headliner. Because like, that come talk to me at the beginning is like, it sounds like like Lion King. It's crazy. It's like huge. So he was crushing it live. He probably had like 20 people on stage. Just Right. It's a full on like James Cameron level <laughs> yeah. epic. Like he's, he really is the James Cameron of rock music. I, I totally see that. Oh, please talk to me. Won't you please come talk to me. Just like it used to be. You were talking a little bit about your festival playing experience. I'm just curious, as the closest thing to Bob Dylan that we have on this podcast right now, <laughs> oh dear. if you could give us that perspective. I'm, I, because to me, as a listener, I just feel like I wouldn't expect a great performance at a festival. Well, one, thing I, I, one thing I was definitely curious about, and... Uh, you know was what were the shows around woodstock 94 like and when you know when you look through you're like oh of course 1994 bob was like touring his ass off he didn't do a particularly special set list for woodstock and in fact i was kind of surprised because um you know in the in the live music business with festivals one of the things that's always getting talked about is radius clauses (laughs) How close can you play to the festival? You know, like famous famous example would be Coachella paying somebody a whole bunch of money to play Coachella. They're not going to let you play a big LA right. show. You know, if you're, they, I, I'm sure if uh, I don't know even know who plays Coachella. You know, I'm sure if Blackpink said we we want to do a couple nights at the Troubadour, get people talking. They, that's fine, but you, they couldn't uh, go play a, a Crypto dot com arena <laughs> in LA <laughs> and then go do. You go to stables and they could probably let them play San Francisco, but anyway, radius clauses, it's a whole thing. And I was like, look like Bob was playing a whole bunch of shows in upstate New York. Maybe back then they were just like, whatever you want to do, Bob. He was touring like New England pretty hard then. So anyway, he I find sometimes festivals can throw you off your game if they're uh, you know, kind of like a one off or something. You often don't get a sound check, could be a little bit nervous going in, but this kind of feels like Bob, you know, the band was playing a lot. So maybe they felt like Woodstock was just another gig. I'm sure the energy is going to be different because it's not uh, their own headline gig. But they were probably they probably felt fresh. The crews dialed in, the bands dialed in. No major surprises. So maybe they felt pretty confident going in. Um, I would assume. But yeah, festivals can be. You definitely have to be thoughtful about festivals, and you know it's. It's 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 a very interesting thing that you end up like talking about with with your team, and you know, I'm lucky to work with like some live music people who like they obsess about the details, and so you know sometimes you get an offer. Of course, you're concerned about the money. Can we get everybody there? But 
also these little things like where you fall on the bill, who's playing before you, who's playing after you, what's the audience going to be like. So for instance, I couldn't help but just like my dude in a band brain when I was thinking about Peter Gabriel getting the headline offer, and I'm a big Peter Gabriel fan, I was kind of like, yeah, that's cool. I'm glad that Peter got that, uh, that 94 headline slot. But then my next thought was, I hope the crowd didn't shrink after RHCP. People could debate till the cows come home. Who is Joker Man? What does the Joker Man archetype represent? But we all have some kind of personal feeling that there, yeah, there's a vibe in the song and in the name and whatever this character is. It it can be hard to to, to describe, but yeah, it mean, it means something. Maybe it is some funny mix of hard and serene. I mean, it's a Joker Man. Yeah, Joker. <laughs> 